you think about the person in your life, when you started, believing you more than anyone else, they're the ones that made the sacrifices. When I walk out, my old man's next to me. They're not just looking at you, they're looking at what made you. Now, what I'm talking about our fucking game. I want them talking about us. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Wendy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Wendy. And our tactics guy, and a man you may have seen running down Tottenham High Road last night, it's Nathan A. Clark. <laughs> Hello, Nathan. <laughs> That's me. That's me. Not because I was late, by the way. That was, my, uh, that was my escape route. Thanks to all the stoppage, I decided that I would jog to Seven Sisters, and, and I got home like like over an hour earlier than I was expecting to get home. Absolute game changer. I'm, I'm definitely doing that again. <laughs> and you got some exercise as well. <laughs> yeah, got my run in. So. Nice. <laughs> Nice. Um, we've just been having a discussion about how tired we all are. Um, the the adrenaline of last night's match impacting my sleep. The journey home for Bardi impacting his sleep, and Nathan just never sleeps anyway, and he's ill. So um, big energy here, lads. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, Trust the Lion says, "Is the Premier League scripted?" I mean, what do you reckon? If it is, it's a pretty bad script. <laughs> but there were there were moments during that game where I thought this is this is no longer a football match. This is something <laughs> entirely different. This is a production designed by a sports broadcaster to increase the maximum amount of entertainment from the people sat at home watching it on their sofa and not for the people that were in the stadium. It did cross mm. my mind once or twice. Mm. Sports entertainment. Yeah. Uh, I really, really enjoyed your little Patreon pod, Bardi. I thought it was uh, very philosophical, actually. Um, yeah, like you, you, you made an interesting point about how the people in the ground kind of used to have one up on the mm. people at home in terms of you know you spot things going on off the ball that that weren't picked up by the cameras, and you spot little things going on in the crowd that weren't picked up by the cameras. But now. The people in the ground are relying on the people at home to feed yeah. them information about what's actually going on because the crowd does not get clear communication about decisions being checked. Mate, we don't we don't know anything. We don't know anything. And I did the little um, Tales from the Lane podcast because when some, when I see something or something happens, and I know in, in a conversation between the three of us, it's very rare that I could talk for like five minutes solid and just get a, a full point across. But I just thought <laughs> I wanted to, <laughs> especially with you two. Are you saying you can't get a word in? Can't get a word in with you two laptops. So um, I just <laughs> thought I needed to put something together about how I I was, think you're fine, Bardi. <laughs> Actually, that happened in 2003. <laughs> But yeah, it used to be where the 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 the, the match going fan had the inside scoop. They knew what was what. Yeah. But as soon as, as in that game, as soon as it stopped, immediately everybody's phone came out, and we were all asking people at home what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I I I was with Jonathan who got, who uh, who had a ticket for me, and he was on the extra inch um, Discord live football channel to find out what was going on after half the game. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't go there. Very very confusing. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted some yeah. common sense and some insight. I I, I think I trust Twitter over that um, over that that channel. That's- Patreon.com slash the extra inch. You're going to be ridiculed by Bardi. Um, I went to uh, an FA Cup first round match on Saturday. Uh, Cheshire United, my local team against Maidstone United, uh, who were managed actually by George Ellicobi, the former Wolves player. Remember him? Um, and it was very refreshing, actually, just to sort of... It, it felt like a throwback. It felt like um, the kind of unpolished football that of yesteryear that, that, that you used to find in the Premier League and that you no longer find in the Premier League. And I do think the um, the waiting around with VAR was obviously extreme in yesterday's match. And I, I, I want to talk about Ange's reaction to that as well. But I do also think it's exacerbated by the new stoppage time rules, uh, the way they're adding yeah. on time and, and adding on genuine stoppage time rather than a perceived stoppage time because it does drag things out and as much as you know more football brilliant more 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 football uh it's kind of exhausting isn't it you, you kind of get to the end and it's like 12 goes up and you think fucking hell can i do can i do 12 more minutes of this <laughs> and in a game as emotionally draining as as that one 
it really hammered the point home. Well, yeah, the, I I left a Spurs game early for the I think the first time in my life last night, and I'm not really proud of that. Um, but like realistically, I decided I was going to run to Seven Sisters before I had to spend an hour waiting around for a train. You know, so um, <laughs> it's the combination of being scheduled for evening games um, and and an extra half an hour of <laughs> football being put onto the game is is just outrageous for fans. Um, let alone what it's doing to footballers' bodies. I, mean, I I don't want us to get sucked into this kind of vacuum of of discussing VAR because it was a really interesting game happened and there's there's some really yeah. peculiar stuff to talk about. But I'm going to one one thing I would like to say <coughs> is just I was very pro VAR when it was as a concept. I but I do think it's been with the amount of abuse and the amount of questions being pushed referees' way at the moment. I've just found that they're almost shirking responsibility at the moment and they're not making decisions. Yep. So it's gone from VAR picking up mistakes, clear and obvious errors to VAR now making decisions for the referee. And I think if the referee sends off Udoji, then fair enough, he's made that decision. If the referee decides to send off Romero and give a penalty, fair enough. But the referee hasn't seen that tackle and then Chelsea scored a goal had Chelsea missed that, would they have gone back and looked at it? I don't know. But I just find referees are now avoiding having to make a, con- a decision and just allowing VAR to do it. And I think that's. I think this is a dangerous place to for us to step in. It's almost like the linesman now who was on my side. He ran alongside that line. And many, many times it was offside, but he didn't flag. <coughs> and Van der Ven was having to sprint backwards, constantly sprint, sprint, sprint. And I... Maybe his Dicario nearly got hurt off the back of one of those as well yeah. when the flag didn't go up. And that's what uh, Postacoglu got a yellow card for because there's been a lot of this. Oh, Postacoglu, he, um, he, he, he abused the referee and he got, he got upset with the linesman and wandered out of his technical area because the linesman didn't flag a clear yellow card uh, uh, offside. And it created an opportunity where there was a dangerous tackle or a 50-50 that someone could have got injured. And they're just shirking responsibility. They're passing it off to an idiot in a room with a, a monitor and that's that's not how football should be but, but it's actually worse than that and this is the point I've been making for the last 18 months because not only are they shirking responsibility the decision is then still incorrect because of this bullshit threshold thing hmm. because they're it's not clear and obvious enough for them to concede that mistakes been made so you don't get the right decision they know what the right decision is but you don't get it because it's not wrong enough to change it so had Romero been booked, so had a penalty been given and Romero been booked, Romero would have still been on the pitch because they wouldn't have upgraded it from a yellow card to a red because it wasn't obvious enough that it was yeah. a, a red, which is why Udogi stayed on the pitch. He should have been sent off. If you look at the, um, the laws of the game and you look at um, serious foul play, it basically describes exactly what Udogi did. It's a sending off offence. And I know people don't like that because he didn't actually touch Sterling because Sterling managed to get out of the way. But I'm sorry, that's that's the 90s you're talking about. Football doesn't allow those tackles anymore where you jump in two-footed. It just doesn't. And that is a red card. But because he's got a booking, it's not enough of a mistake to upgrade it to a red. And because Romero didn't get anything, it was. So we've got these inconsistencies in decision-making. Then you see, you know, Reese James elbows Udogi in the face and, and nothing's done about it. You know, there's there's massive inconsistencies with this. Plus... You've got people like Jurgen Klopp and Mikel Arteta going for the referees and for the video assistant referees, meaning that they're taking even longer to scrutinise the decisions. So fans in the stadium are left waiting around, as Ange put it, standing around while the decisions are triple checked, quadruple checked and then agreed upon. And it's no good for anyone. And I, I do think that Arteta and Klopp and the likes need to take some responsibility for the how they are feeding into our game being ruined. And I really appreciated Postacoglu's comments last night on actually we just need to respect the referee and, and allow them to have their decision and to uphold it. Um, and he seemed, you know, he was obviously upset about the way the game had gone, but he was really, you could tell, really fed up by the nature of it and the the, the fashion of, uh, the, the, as he said, standing around. There's a lot of standing around. He was, he was really um, disenfranchised with the beautiful game and what it's become. So let's talk about the match. Dakota says, what have I just watched? <laughs> um, we'll, we'll do what we always do, and that is start with the starting 11. So the the interesting point to note was that Brennan Johnson came in for Richardson. Nathan, do you think there was a specific reason for that? I, I, I think that 
with Johnson starts happening in two London derbies uh, when he's been fit, that there's a strong case to say that he's first choice anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, just outside of his injuries. Um, he certainly is he now. Also, oh my goodness, he plays so well. Yeah, yeah. But I, I also think that um, he makes sense for, for games in which the opposition are going to really come out to us because he's, you know, Richardson's good at running behind Johnson simply faster, right? <laughs> so so he offers more threat in behind. And um, yeah, we, we, we got Johnson through a couple, you know, a handful of times before he had to be subbed off much earlier than he would have liked. Mm. Um so yeah, that 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 made sense to me, and also um, in in Richarlison news, he is now going to undergo surgery that he's been waiting to have, which again suggests that he knows that it, he doesn't have a place in the first eleven. Therefore, go and take the time to heal up. Yeah, I, that was a really interesting way of phrasing it. It seems like it's not a hundred percent decided whether he's going to have the surgery or not. But if he does have the surgery, it could be a lengthy absence. Um, yeah. And we've got some other lengthy absences to, to worry about now. So it's it's somewhat unfortunate timing, I would say. Um, where do we start analysing this game? Let's start with the first 20 minutes, because I think that is the first sort of section of the game, um, as it were. I think, given the quality of opposition and the nature of the game, I think this is the best 20 minutes we've seen of Angeball so far. What do you reckon? It was good, man. It, we we went 1-0 up. We looked dangerous. Um, occasionally, they pressed us and forced us into an error, but we were so good, and we, we were playing so well, and it was just a matter of time. Sun scored the goal. Uh, I haven't seen it back because I can't find any highlights of it because there were so many other highlights in the game. But um, it was just a question of, okay, that was disallowed. We'll just go and score another one in a couple of minutes. Right. Yeah, I felt the same way. I really did. I felt like... After we got that first one and then had that second massive chance, I was like, this this is going to be a demolishing. We're going to destroy Chelsea here. We were playing them off the pitch. They didn't know how to handle us. Um, we were playing through them. We were so brave in possession. So brave. Like the Udogi and Poro were insane um, in, in the first 20 minutes, I thought, with the risk-taking that mainly came off and was really exciting to watch. Udogi and Johnson on that left-hand side looked electric. Incredible combination play. Uh, Reese James didn't know who to mark. He he was completely clueless as to who to track. Uh, and, we, and we were profiting down that side from that indecision. Pretty much every time we tried to go down that side, we got in. And um, it was brilliant. It was really brilliant to watch, and then it all changed. It did. It did. I, I just want to say that um, how um, how significant that opening twenty minutes is because I I I did a short Twitter thread um, on the weekend uh, on on just how good Chelsea's pressing game is, which obviously isn't shocking because because that's what Pochettino is very very good at. Um, but essentially, um, what's what's so good about the way that Chelsea press is how um, how good a job they do of of never overcommitting, of constantly keeping lots of players relevant, um, relevant to the press, defensively relevant, whilst also squeezing the opposition. And I and I thought that this would be the biggest test of our build up game, and we we largely came out on top. And I think that that's that's you know once. Once Romero's suspension is over, once Van der Ven is back to fitness, that is sort of going to be the the biggest long term story of this game. It doesn't. It's it's obviously not the headline right now, but mm-hmm. from a long term perspective, um, we had our biggest challenge to our build up game, and 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 I was really really impressed. I do think that um, sort of minutes fifteen to twenty, whatever it was, when the 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 penalty happened. Um, started to lose a tiny bit of grip on the game, but um, yeah, really, really impressed with the opening period of the game overall. So I think there is some evidence to suggest that the moment the game changed was when Udogi made that challenge, um, trying to win the ball back following our corner, which he yeah. which he got booked for. Um, Cole Palmer was asked about this post match, and the the question is put in a way that basically says, you know, it seemed to us like when Udogi made that challenge, everything changed, and he was like, well, look, we weren't winning the second balls. We we we, it was kind of like, uh, yeah, we 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 had to change something. We we were they were winning the second balls. We needed to win some, and that's when we yeah. got the impetus back. And and I do think that the Udogi moment was like a, a um, 
both uh, uh, right. Let's not get bullied by these these guys anymore. And also a pause in which the coaching staff can kind of get a message on to say, lads, what the fuck? And Chelsea did wake up at that point. And not only did they wake up, they started creating chances. And they had the Sterling goal ruled out, the handball. And then obviously the Casado um, goal ruled out. And then Romero is, is sent off, the penalty is given. And from then on, uh, the momentum is with Chelsea, obviously. I just felt... I just felt Chelsea seized upon a moment of emotion and Pochettino was almost like, okay, they're a little bit hyper now. We can get after them. So start pressing them a little bit more. And their press definitely stepped up. They were, before they were allowing us to kind of walk it out of our box quite easily, but then they were, they really, it was a significant press and I was, I was shouting and it doesn't, I'm one among 61 idiots shouting at the, at the pitch but we just needed somebody with a bit of common sense just to slow it down just to take a moment and I'm really disappointed in Sun I'm really disappointed in Romero I'm really disappointed in that guy I'm really disappointed in Postacoglu and a few others that calm it down you could see we Poro Poro tried an ambitious ball and Vicario made an incredible save we got let off with the Sterling goal and they were pressing us we just needed somebody just to slow it down and I get that's not our style but we needed something we needed somebody needed to to be a bit mature and um and, no one, and, no one and rather up. than that rather than someone being mature and stepping up Romero lent into the chaos and yes, lent yeah. into the the aggression and the atmosphere um so I think we do need to address that and talk about how we feel about that uh he's copped a lot of flack for it there are some people in our discord who are like yeah, of course Romero does that. Romero's always doing that kind of thing. He's he's a liability. Um I kind of in in the opposite corner to that. Same. I think I think Romero is a wonderful player and he's wonderful because he's so aggressive and actually you you take a couple of reds a season with Romero because he's he's so good be, because of that aggression. You, you it's going to happen. Oh, no, um, no, no, no. How, sorry, how do you I, guys feel? I thought you were going the other way with that. I, I think it's unacceptable. This is four red cards in 74 games. And these last, and he's got away with a few this season. He's given away a lot of penalties. He's got away with a few, a few tackles this season. He got sent off against Milan at a really crucial point. He got sent off in this game. At, this is a, a big match. And I think it's unacceptable. And I think he, he needs to mature. I get that the aggression is part of his game, but there's a recklessness to it, which is not not acceptable. I don't think would you say I don't think you'd see a Manchester City centre back going in like that. Again, I don't know how I don't know what Pep's red cards are like. I guess Rodri got sent off this season. But I think it's it's an unacceptable behaviour from a vice captain. I mean I was fuming with him, don't get me wrong. Absolutely fuming because the timing couldn't have been worse. Uh, and it was compounded by the fact that, that Van der Ven then gets injured as well. And Romero misses three games, by the way. Um, but like after the game, I rationalise it and I say to myself, OK, you know, I'm fuming with, with Romero in the moment, but this is what you get with Romero. You don't get the good stuff without this stuff. Um, and on balance, I'll, I'll take him as he is. Like, I'd rather have him as he is than have a, a lesser player who stays on the pitch more. Nathan, where are you at? Uh, yeah, I um I agree with the general idea that uh Romero is someone who plays very close to the edge all of the time and he's brilliant for it and sometimes because he's constantly really pushing that envelope all of the time he's going to slip over it he's going to commit some fouls I think that his scissor tackle um against Bournemouth was probably a red card yeah. I think there was another one against United and I do accept those, but that's not how I see this situation. This situation, I see him being petulant, him mm. him feeling aggrieved that he didn't get a couple of calls his way when he was maybe fouled by Chelsea players. Um, him going out and looking for a fight with Thiago Silva, sprinting all the way up the pitch to pick a fight with Thiago Silva both ways, kicking out at I don't even know who. Uh, yeah, else we didn't up. even talk about Cold that. World. That was that was stupidity. Yep. He could have gone um, for that as well. He he probably should have gone for that. And so, um, and I think it's similar with Udogi that he's he's gotten in this game. He both of them have 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 lost grip of things, gotten gotten too excited yeah. by the occasion, got too excited about Chelsea getting away with a couple of fouls and gone in recklessly. Because I think that's both true of Udogi, the the one we've talked about that was that was reviewed but then kept as a yellow, and then the one he was eventually sent off for. Um, and it's true of several things that Romero did. Um, both of them 
losing their heads in in this game, and I think that that is worthy of, of criticism. Mm-hmm. I think that's different from from the normal thing of they're going to pick up some cards every now and then because of the aggressive way they play. This is them, you know, it's 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 about the bridge stuff, right? It's it's losing their heads, mm. and I don't I don't like that. Yeah, I think that's a really fair point. I I, I would say though, for me, it was out of character for Doggy, who yeah, I mean, sure. I think he's very controlled normally and very measured, and he looked so so upset when he was going off the pitch, like he knew he'd fucked up. Um, and I, I clapped him. I'm critical of him, but I clapped him off the pitch because the overall message is, you know, he's played brilliantly for this last this season. And I also understand that, like, obviously, um, I, I've talked about these being two separate things. Like Romero plays close to the edge, and also he lost his head in this game. But obviously, mm-hmm. there is a connection there where he's, when he plays football, he's weaponizing ferocity yeah, yeah. in his game. Yeah, he's putting his emotions into the way he plays. And so, yes, again, sometimes that's going to lead to fouls. But this is him. He lost his head. He was out there looking for a red card for 10 minutes and our vice captain can't can't be playing that way yeah i mean i think you've convinced me that that is a that's absolutely true i'd forgotten about the little kick out um Mm. i was fuming at that because i was just thinking why are you doing that now why was you chosen this moment to start kicking people in in the most pointless way um risky and pointless way uh and then he goes and does that challenge and again some people are saying it's not a red because he got the ball like honestly <laughs> it's like you've not watched football for the last decade these are red card challenges now he, he's he's put enough force into that challenge because he wants to take the ball and then hurt the player well, well let's 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 use um the defensive phrasing right that it's not a challenge it's a clearance right yeah. but he has deliberately followed through the clearance intentionally to land through or to the player that he, uh, whichever Chelsea player is, that he lands through on studs up. And, it's, and, it's and taking deliberate. some of the ball is a shield for doing that, isn't it? It's like, yeah. oh, I can get away with leaving one on this player because I've caught the ball first. <laughs> There's a glint in his eye yeah. as he does it, right? He, uh, and, and moments before that, I don't think it was caught by the broadcast, but I, I saw this in the stadium, is um, he gets kicked by someone. Gallagher. And then afterwards, is it Gallagher? And then he's arguing with the ref yeah. and he points down to his his foot as if to be like, look, there's a there's a hole in my sock or there's a scratch or I felt it here or whatever. And I feel like that's when he just completely lost it. And he's like, right, well, if fouls are allowed, I'm going to go cripple someone now. Right, right. And yeah. yeah. That's that, that's exactly what happened. Gallagher followed through as Romero was playing out from the back. He pointed and the referee just waved his hands and basically told him there's nothing in it. And the referee allowed the situation to, to, to boil over. Agree. The referee yeah. managed yeah, this game terribly, man. Even Mudrick, yeah. who came on, had three, three kicks out. He was able to kick people three yeah. times before following in on Vicario and then he finally got booked. Like if you if you count up the amount of vows and yellow card challenges that Udoji did, there was two two yellows and one foul. Mudrik did perhaps did more uh, in terms of yellow card offenses mm-hmm. and stayed on the pitch. There was just a yeah. no I hate this word, but there was there was no consistency with the referee. I am normally a real big fan of Michael Oliver. I think he's one of my preferred referees. I thought he was okay. really awful in this game and for exactly the reasons you just said by he, he lost control he didn't set any tone from the start and then he made inconsistent decisions uh, hoping that VAR would get him out of trouble I actually think he let the initial Udogi one go because he was thinking oh, he, he booked him I was think, I think he was thinking it's a local derby they're all a bit heated I'll give him some leeway but actually that, that didn't help the game in any way as we saw um, so the goal goes in Romero's gone we're down to 10 we bring on Eric Dyer first time we've seen Eric Dyer for a while um and then not long after Van der Ven is, is running back towards his own goal and his hamstring goes I heard it go man it was right in front of me and <laughs> it's I, a big hamstring I'm not surprised could, yeah you could, it was like um a car belt going ping it was um yeah you, you knew he was in trouble and as he was um kind of carried off in front of us I don't think we're going to see him until Valentine's Day roughly until Valentine's Day do you reckon Day. I think he's, I mean it's it's these things often look worse than they are in the moment and because the pain is immense with the hamstring strains. I mean, we have to pray for a grade one, but so grade one's one to three weeks, grade two's one to two months. Uh, Grade three is a lot more serious than that. Um, We need to pray. (laughs) I would be surprised if that is a grade one. Mm. I'd be very surprised. He was in a lot of pain. Um, and and then we bring on at that point Emerson Royale for Mickey Van der Ven and Pierre Milhoybier for James Madison, who not long before had gone down in the Chelsea box. 
I thought when Madison went down that he was exaggerating because he'd taken a dive to try and win a penalty. Yeah. Um, but Ange Postacoglu did confirm post-match that he'd taken a knock on the ankle. And I think there was also some suggestion that he had some strapping or, or compression on his quad as well. So it seems Madison is now carrying a couple of knocks, which is a, a bit of a disaster. Um, Son Renati says, how the hell did we play so well with nine men? So um, hmm. we're going to call this the high line section because we have a lot of questions about the high line. Oh, really? Uh, Daniel says, how many players would need sending off before we don't play a defensive line in the opposition half? <laughs> um, who said this one? Who was the middle one, Bardi? Um, I will find out, sorry. So the middle question is, do you actually think we should have maintained such a high line? It felt higher than anything we've seen with 11 men all season, while the midfield collapsed <laughs> into the same space. It's one thing to be proactive, but we never press the ball. And finally, Arnie says, was it just me or did we actually push up even higher with Dyer and Hoybier in our backline than we did with Romero and, and Van der Ven? Um, so let's talk through the, the, the defensive organisation. So initially, Dyer comes on for, for Johnson and um, s- sits on the right of Van der Ven. Uh, so it's just the standard back four, but with with Dyer replacing Romero, and then when Van de Ven goes, Emerson Royale uh, initially plays um, centre back alongside Dyer, uh, and then when Udogi later gets sent off, we have um, uh, Pierre Mohoibier at centre back. Who'd have thought it? I don't know if anyone suggested before that Hoybier could <laughs> play centre back, but he did play centre back, <laughs> and uh, and uh, Emerson Royale moved to left back. Um, and I've got to say, I've got to say, I think all of them, all of the substitutes put in a hell of a shift. I, I was so yep. pleasantly surprised. I, I, like, I felt quite proud, actually. I felt so pleased for Eric Dyer that he came back and played really well because he had such a rough end to last season. Emerson Royale, who I praised him in the last game, I thought was really solid again. And Hoybier, I thought, was magnificent at centre-back. He, you know, the, when he when he kneed one over the bar and then celebrated it like a goal, I was <laughs> I was loving it. It was hilarious and adorable in equal measure. Um, I really felt like those guys, I, I, I want to talk about Vicario separately, but mm. that back five really did the team, did the team proud. Um, but Nathan, talk to us about how we played so well with nine men. Um... I I I think it's going to be arguable. I think people are going to. I think some people are going to say we played terribly with nine playing. We played naively with nine men, and we conceded four goals in total. Um, I, th- I think that's definitely up in the air. I think between between their second goal on what was that seventy five minutes, um, and then ninety plus four, they didn't put up a single shot, and we had actually a very good chance with Son in that in that period of time. Dyer's goal, um, man, I wanted that to be. Obviously, I want us to equalise in that moment, but I really, really want that for Eric. It's a lovely finish. What a finish, yeah. Uh, and I agree, he played well. Um, yeah, maybe maybe an even higher defensive line than than when we play with eleven. Um, and I think it's kind of like a it's kind of like an attempt to to flummox Chelsea. Um, and I think that it <laughs> worked to a certain degree. Um, it reminds me, uh, we played, uh, we played Villa last season and they played a really high line with minimal pressure on the ball. And for some reason, we just couldn't get the ball over the top to, to Son or Richardson all game. And I couldn't really understand why. And it's like, sometimes it's like it's, I think I said this at the time. Sometimes it's like it's so obvious that it feels like a trap. And it, and I, and I think we kind of got Chelsea with that a little bit. When you've got, you know, Mudrick and, and Sterling and Palmer, and they're all standing on that line with no head start. That getting that timing right can be difficult if you're used to having like a a few yards to build some momentum because they're just right on that line. It's it's almost overwhelming. But obviously, it's not really about that game, right? Obviously, um, we could have played for a draw, but we don't believe in playing for draws. Um, and that is not so much about this game. It's about who we are long term, the way that we approach the game. And, and Postal said, said as much as who we are, mate. You know, we're, if we're down to five, we're still going to play this way. And I think that that I think that resonated not with all fans, but with a significant number of Spurs fans. And I think it resonates with the squads in terms of our mentality going forwards. That if there was any doubt about total buy-in to Postacoglu's way, there can't be any more doubts now. And and yeah, I support it. I you know I. As much as I love 
the high press, the high possession. I wouldn't have been distraught if we dropped off in this game. Um, but I, I was really quite pleased to, to to see us stick to our guns. I think it, it was fun. And uh, yeah, I think probably if you do drop off for 20, 30 minutes with nine men, I mean, longer than that even, right? Over half now because you're going to get stoppage in there. Like you're going you're gonna to concede anyway. You might as well go for it. Because like if we, again, one more time, if we were to drop all the way off with nine men, we do, we cannot offer anything on the counter. Sun is not, his legs are, are blown by like 60 minutes. Sun is not going to run the entire length of the pitch on the break on his own and, and score a goal on his own. Kulusevski's off the pitch by that time, but also for him, we just, in order to have any, any attack and presence in this game, we had to compete for the ball in midfield. And that's just the mentality that we, we never play for a draw. And I respect that. It didn't work, but I respect it. Well, that, I say it's, it's dual purpose, isn't it? It's, it's about the defensive side, but it's also, so when you, when you have fewer players in your position, you have to have your distances right. You have to have your midfield close to your defense and your forward close to your midfield. And you can either do that in your own half and have no attempt, like you say, of, of moving up the pitch. Or if you do, it's an installments and it's very slow and painful. Or you go unconventional and you do it in the opposition half. And you have your distances still small, but Son's close to the goal. So when he gets his chance later on, he's he can get a shot away. Um, and I really admired the bravery in that. I mean, we saw the opposite. We saw Liverpool go down to nine men. And they defended magnificently. They brought on defenders and they sat in their own box and they headed everything away and they blocked and they tackled and they're incredible. They put in the most resolute defensive performance and they still lost to us because that's what happens when you're 11 against nine. You you concede yeah. a goal. And if we'd done that, we'd have conceded a goal and then we'd have probably conceded more goals because we'd have had to come out and it would have been really tricky to go from low block to trying to press again, back to low block to trying to press again. It wouldn't have worked. So Postacoglu's made this... Um, calculation in his head what do I do here do I do low block and and give up my my um, my message to my players in the hope that we salvage something here or do we stick to what we know tweak it a little bit and and try and compete and and try and defend you know try and be effective and try and get a result um, but do it a different way the way we know the, the way we know how it's it's his method it's it's angible I mean when Udoji was sent off, you know where I would have gone. You know what I would have done. Sound the trumpet, everybody, low block. Let's just <coughs> low block and get through it. But that 20 minutes between Destiny getting sent off and Jackson scoring, it was it was just exhilarating. It was the bravest football I'd ever seen. And ultimately, you know, it's like the Spartans against the Persians. They they got they got smashed up. And um but it was it was quite it was quite the ride while we were doing it and it was it was so brave and it was so ballsy and even at 2-1 you know then Dyer scores and it's just like oh my god we've done incredible things and then had that stood I, I would say we, we're going to win the league because it's just unbelievable but um, <laughs> it wasn't to be the, the fairy tale wasn't there but it was incredible incredibly ballsy and you're right had we just parked the bus we probably would have lost anyway but this way we came out and had a go the only thing that leaves it a bit sour is the fact that it ended up being four you know had it finished yeah. two or three fine but that fourth goal was really really rubbed it in and especially for that idiot mm. to get it who was giving it to the south stand a lot even though he's like one of the worst players we've ever seen that that mm. hurt the fourth goal hurt i could have walked away fine with two one three one but i think probably by then we should have we should have just parked the bus for the last four minutes yeah i mean it was a mixture of heads have dropped by that point and also we're trying to press forward and, and do something and yeah that like Nathan says they they hadn't had a shot in the, in the period before that and then suddenly they're getting all these chances and it just it didn't feel like that was the game it felt cheap somehow yeah. um that period though you mentioned Barley that 20 minutes the crowd was absolutely incredible during that period did it feel like did it feel like one of the best atmospheres at the new stadium? No, I wouldn't say it's like one of the best atmospheres, but everybody was totally invested in this. There was a few people shaking their heads, shouting drop and everything. <laughs> I was shouting like... Oh, really? I, yeah, I, I shouted a couple of times. How about we just drop a metre or two, lads? Um, but it, <laughs> everybody was totally invested in it. Everybody was behind the team. And it was it was like a, a joint experience of, of just going up against it. It was, um, yeah, it was, it was quite amazing. And I think it's fair to say that we could not have um, attempted to uh, use this absurdly high line were it not for uh, the superhero between our sticks, 
Guillermo Vicario, who was absolutely magnificent. I think I, I, I put on Twitter earlier that it's, uh, or yesterday, that it's one of the best sweeper-keeper displays I've ever seen, if not the best. I think, actually, it's one of the best goalkeeping displays I've ever seen, full stop. Um, he did everything. He was everywhere. He was a defender. He was a goalkeeper. He was a leader. His passing was good. He was so calm. Um, he was bawling out his teammates when they made mistakes. He was supporting his teammates when they did things right. He was geeing up the crowd. I mean, wow. Crack says, is Vicario currently playing at a level close or better than Hugo's peak? That sweeper-keeper performance today was exhilarating. Probably the best goalkeeper performance to concede four goals ever, surely. <laughs> it was incredible. He was he was incredible. And is it better than Hugo's peak? Well, he's definitely a better sweeper-keeper than, than Hugo was ever because his feet are better. And his shot-stopping was incredible. It was an unbelievable performance by him. And um, yeah, he was the reason why we could play that high line because he was able to just, he was so confident in being able to do it. The save he made from Jackson was unbelievable. The the sweeping in the second half was unbelievable. He was going down, um, slowing the game down, being mature. He was, he was unbelievable. It was an incredible performance. What a goalkeeper. Wow. I, um... I'm going to refer to, to Bardi's video, but it's not just like a, I'm not trying to dunk on him, right? I think it was clear from his time um, at Empoli and Bardi highlighted it well that his shot stopping was was solid, mm-hmm. that his that his playing um, with the ball at his feet was, was outstanding. Where there were concerns and where I think they actually showed up in pre-season... Um, was in was in his proactivity playing for Empley where he like never left his six yard box all season. Mm, yeah. Um and even then like was giving space over to a centre backs on the edge of his six yard box, never claimed crosses, never did any sweeping. The the big concern is can he step up in uh, in that way? Can he develop his game in that way? Can he be a, a sweeper? And um, my goodness, he he I, I don't know if it was caught in the broadcast, so I tweeted a picture of his position being way outside the box, his starting position. And I, he was phenomenal. He was really phenomenal. And I'm, um, I'm so, so impressed with him. I know like amongst everything, things get twisted. I never called Picario shit. I was just, I was just unhappy that we hadn't gone for a more established goalkeeper, but his, his rise at Spurs and the way he's just the way he's ironed out what I was worried about is he's just been brilliant. He really has settled in beautifully. Feels like he's been at the team a long time. Does everything that's asked of him. Doesn't make any mistakes. Like an absolute complete sea change from from what we've experienced the last three four years under Lloris. It's just sensational. Thoughts on uh, David Rye's season so far, buddy? I think he's struggled, but I think he's been all right. I quite, I see, I, okay. and I, I still, in, in the same way that I still like Onana. I still really like Onana. And I really like Raya, but um, am I happy that we've got Vicario? Yes, I've got to say, I'm happy with us having picked Vicario over David Raya right now. We saved ourselves 20 million and we've got an exceptional goalkeeper. And we might be relying on him even more over the next few games as well. well. Can he play centre-back? <laughs> yeah. Um, so on that subject, Serple Dan says, I've always been a bit Hoybier as CB curious. Is this something I'm talking myself into out of desperation or is there something there? He might be the best passer on the team outside of Madison, and I feel like he does all the tackling and blocking stuff pretty well. Um, so I think the Hoybier should start centre back against Wolves. Yeah, I uh, I'm open to that. I think that where I'm most frustrated with Hoybjerg is 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 how he behaves when the ball is behind him and his inability to sort of open up angles and receive and turn with the ball. I think that when he has the ball at his feet and the ball's ahead of him, he's actually he's actually one of our better passers, and he's a big lad and so he can jump and he can run. And he can certainly defend space. So he can hit a, he can hit a diagonal as well. And he he can spank a diag. So um, he's definitely he's definitely one of the better shouts. I guess we should talk about any other options we have. So obviously we brought in Ash Phillips. Um, I was I I was thinking of doing a video on him, but then I I don't know. It felt there's so little footage of him, but um, he's very athletically gifted and. Um, He's also massively improved over the course of the like 10 games that he's played. So his first game, he was a nervous wreck. And then his 10th game, he was much better on the ball. But there just isn't a lot to go on there, especially in terms of him playing with the ball at his feet. So he's an unknown other than being, you know, very fast, very strong, which is important. So my question for you, Wendy, is um, 
How much have you seen of Donnelly? Do you mean uh, how much have you seen of Dorrington? Yeah. <laughs> how much have you seen of Dorrington? Because what I've seen of Dorrington, I've been very impressed with him on the ball, um, but I don't know about his athletic game very much. He's uh, adequately athletic. Okay, uh, he, adequately he, athletic for youth football. Uh, <laughs> probably also for men's football, but he's not Ash Phillips. Ash Phillips is like a he's eighteen, but he's he's twenty three. Okay. Dorrington is eighteen, yeah. then he's eighteen, but he's a big eighteen. Okay. Um, mm. I really, really like Alfie Dorrington more than I like Ash Phillips. I think they're both good. Ash Phillips is the one that plays for England at the, at the level they compete at. Yeah. Uh, I prefer Dorrington because of his on-ball ability. He's running with the ball, he's passing. Uh, but I think you have to reward Hoybier with the with the start. I mean, so to, let's talk about this. You've mentioned Phillips, you've mentioned Dorrington. Other potential options, we're assuming that Dyer is going to play one of the roles. Other potential options are Emerson Royale and maybe Ben Davis if he's fit, but he's he was missing last night and we assume he's missing because he's injured. So really, I think it comes down to Phillips and Hoybier. or Hoybier. Hoybier then. Yeah, I think it has to be. I think, so I am... I'm I'm in favour of youth players being given chances. I'm in favour of youth players being given chances as a result of injuries to first choice players. And if James Madison is out for the Wolves game, I would be absolutely delighted for us to play Jamie Donnelly. I think that would be a really good shout to play Donnelly in midfield. I don't think you can throw a centre-back in alongside another centre-back who's barely played this season. Yeah. Alongside Emerson Royale filling in at left-back because Udogi's out and expect that to go well. I think that is not fair on the young player to do that. I think it's too much exposure. It's too much risk. Um, The downside of being out of of the Europa Conference League this year is that we haven't had a chance to see any of these young players. We could have given them some minutes. Mm. We could have given them some experience in the first team squad. It's great that they're training with the first team, but uh, it, like a sense, it's just different at centre-back. It hits different. There's, there's, yeah. You make a mistake and it's a goal. Loan for Ashley Phillips in January, do you think? Or are we so thin? Like, if we were to bring in a centre-back in January, could we then loan that, Ashley Phillips? That has out? to be the intention, I think. I think, yeah. the, okay. uh, like, the ideal situation is you bring in two centre-backs in January and you loan huh. Dorrington and Phillips. Uh, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think we'll we'll probably bring in one. I mean, let's see how long Van der Ven's out for, because maybe they will bring in two. Um, yeah. <sighs> Christ, yeah. I mean, we've got three games without Romero and almost certainly without Van der Ven. One of them is against Man City. Uh, It's not ideal, lads. It's not ideal. Didn't we have a little chat about what we needed? How could we win the league? And pretty much everything we spoke about happened in this game. So, yeah, this is why we're not... One thing for sure now, at least this focuses us on what what we're actually after this season, top four finish. Yeah. So we're now focused on that. It's really painful that we've got we're going to play Schoepier and Dyer up front at, at the in Manchester that's really painful I think um, I think we need to play Phillips against Wolves I think we need to put him in against one of the weaker teams in the next in the next three matches and just try it he has to, it has to it has to be done because if Schoepier comes in and has a nightmare against Wolves that means against um, Villa you're going to play Phillips I think we just need to give Phillips a go against Wolves see how he gets on pray that he's um, he's better than we than we think and and move from there and then use Schoepier as an alternative I I do want to say it's not that I think he's bad because yeah, I really yeah. don't I think he's I think he's a really really talented young player but um he's a young player who hasn't played for us yet I, I just think it's a lot to ask um but I do I I get the point I get the point about you know he's probably going to have to be used at some point so so why not now I mean the ideal situation is we start Hoybier and Dyer against Wolves we we somehow get to 3-0 up and then we bring on Phillips for the last half an hour to give him a go and see how he fits in that's that's the dream um so on the subject of of Wolves Black and Lily White says predicted lineup for Wolves it's tricky. Bare bones, lads. Down to the bare bones. I think if Davies is fit, we play Davies at left back. Romero, uh, Royale, Dyer, and Porro. I think if, I think if Davies is fit, we will go with Royale at centre back. Because Royale was was the initial choice ahead of Hoiberg and centre uh, back. But then was he brought on at the same time Hoiberg went into midfield? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm, I don't know. I but then maybe after the game, 
things changed. I, uh, I, I'm leaning towards both wanting and suspecting it'll be Hoybjerg starting a centre back in the next game. Um, so Hoybjerg and Dyer ahead of Vicario, Royale and Porro with Davies not fit enough. Um, we don't know what the Madison situation is, but Basuma and Saar. And if Madison's not fit, Bentancur. <sighs> Uh, you don't know if Bentancur is ready to... It's a big ask of Bentancur, isn't it? It's, it's and it's tough. risky as well. We imagine if he got injured as well. <laughs> Who, well. I guess that would be Skip, if not Bentancur. Or Lo Celso, or Kulosevsky, or Brian, or, or Donnelly. What, yeah, I don't know what Lo Celso's fitness is like at the moment. I I think he's good and that he, he should be considered in that squad going forward, but I don't know if he's fit enough to play right now. Um, and then the front three is fine, right? So... Yeah, I, th- I thinking more long term. Right, we're um, we're in for a rough patch in terms of our squad. I think that um, we can expect more mixed performances, more mixed results, um, but still a general optimism about the way that we're at least trying to play, and probably most of the time, most of the time, the way that we are playing. I think that existing um, tactical shortcomings will be exaggerated and and become, um, um, you know, glaring. And then other previous strengths will become weaknesses, maybe such as, you know, spacing behind a high line, although that didn't show up as much as it should have done against Chelsea. Um, But I think that general optimism about our long-term future will carry us through. It just means that we won't be talking about winning the league (laughs) for for the next few weeks. Um, Probably. (laughs) But saying that, if we we beat Wolves, we go top, lads, and City have got to go to Chelsea. (laughs) So I I mean, I think I agree with Nathan that there's... uh still a general air of positivity should be upheld around how the team are performing and will perform. Um, Ange makes the team greater than some of its parts and the parts will be lesser, but the, the gap between where we are now or have been and where we will be, will be smaller than it could be with another manager because of the system. And I think the way that Dyer and Hoybier and Emerson Royale performs and, and, um, and Bentancourt, Less so Skip, but I thought Skip was quite poor when he came on. Um, I thought the way those guys performed gives us a lot of reasons to be optimistic. Um, obviously, it'd be easier if it was just one of them coming in or two of them coming in. And when it's like all your reserve players at once, that's tough. It's really hard to to cope. Like they're not match sharp. They're already slightly lesser players, um, but they're not accustomed to playing with the rest in that system. And it's it's going to be a come down from what we've been used to. But the system's so well embedded now. And um, I think last night weirdly would have given them a bit of confidence. So I do still feel optimistic. And, you know, we're playing Wolves without Neto. So that's that's helpful as well. Um, so so we I, th- I still think we go into the game with some confidence and, and we see what happens. I, I don't want to um, stick the boot in on Skip, but this is now, what, three or four cameos off the bench where he's been poor. I think yeah. I think we might have been better had we bring on, brought on Brian or La Celso. I think Brian would have offered the same kind of pressing and energy, but probably a little bit better movement on mm. the ball and a little bit better in, in retaining the ball. Or um, perhaps even La Celso would have been better suited. I thought he was really underwhelming as someone that you expected he was brought on for high energy, you know, and I just don't think he did it or offered it. Yeah, yeah, he he was rough. He was really rough. Um, Buddy, you're you've got competition. Yeah, so this week for Patreon uh, listeners, I interviewed Gareth uh, Gareth Thomas about his new book, um, Tottenham Hotspur in the 21st Century. This is a look back on how Spurs have evolved over the last 23 years. And it's for patrons at the moment, but we'll release it on the main feed shortly. And I'm going to give away a copy of this book. So tweet me your unsung hero of the last 23 years. I don't don't tweet me Gareth Bale or Harry Kane or Deli Alley, someone like that. I want an unknown player that you really liked watching who doesn't really get the applaudits that he deserves. Uh, the best nomination will get a copy of the book. Closing date is by this time next week when we release the, the next pod. Nice. And if you don't have Twitter, because I know a lot of people have, have left Twitter recently, True. podcast at theextrainch.co.uk, uh, just put in the subject Bardi Competition. That's it. And, um, and send us your unsung hero over the last 23 years. Um, so you, you mentioned the uh, Bardi's Book Club episode on Patreon. We've had uh, several episodes of Straight Off the Training Ground, which I'm very pleased to be back in the swing off with Chris. And Nathan, you produced a little winger video. Yeah. Yeah, I did uh, 
did a because I I thought it was uh, our most important uh, gap in our squad. <laughs> <laughs> And now I've got to do the centre backs, and man, I'm really kind of at a loss for for analysing so many centre backs. Um, that's going to be tough. That's going to be tough. I'm going to try my best with that. Um, but I I did um I did nine nine options um, because one of them is Brian Hill um, to to be our one v one specialist. Um, and there is a a beautiful, pristine, glorious horizontal version on patreon and i also chucked up some vertical nonsense on tiktok for free <laughs> i was um, lovely stuff i was very surprised to hear you mention nico williams that's <laughs> totally by surprise <laughs> you have been listening to the extra inch with me windy my sidekick and best friend barley and our tactics guy Nathan. if you like this there's plenty more at patreon.com forward slash the extra inch Production is by Nathan A. Clark. Our logo, artwork, and website are designed by Trayton Miller. Our music is by David Lindmer. You can find him on Instagram at David Lindmer. Do check him out, he's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us at podcast at theextrainch.co.uk. Subscribe, leave us a rating and a review. And most importantly, be sure to tell all of your Spurs friends. Shout out to the ex-subs, we love every single last one of you. And of course, come on you Spurs. A new year is full of surprises, but one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take care of orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game-changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.